This is the DX Podcast, proudly presented by Wondrous. In this episode of the DX Podcast, Peter talks with Ganesh Santaram. Well, hello and welcome to the eighth episode of the DX Podcast. Today we have Ganesh Santaram joining us. Ganesh is the Senior Manager of Global Digital Marketing at Vitorinox. Yes, I am. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> I know we tried uh, forever to get on the podcast, but we finally managed. <laughs> well, at least you made it over to our uh, DX meetup. When was that? Was that last year? No, it was actually earlier this year. I think February, perhaps. God, time flies, man. Yeah. And everything that's happened in the meantime is is absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, it's been a been a hectic ride for everyone, I think, in this absolutely. time period. Yeah. How have you guys been coping with all the changes? Well, I mean, for us it's been it's been pretty good, to be quite honest. It hasn't been easy at all. We're pretty well equipped for this, our whole offices set up to to deal with the home office um kind of situation and our clients have been yeah um, really cool about the whole situation and obviously everyone that works for wondrous has been amazing uh, in handling this situation from home and now we've started opening up a little bit bit by bit yeah but uh yeah i mean let's talk about you can you just kind of uh, take us quickly through your past and, and how you got where you are now? Yeah, so my past, I um, actually started off in uh, football. I think, you know, where both of us, uh, where we met uh, initially working for team marketing. So my background has actually been uh, in consumer insights, data, research and analytics. And um, over 10, 10, 11 years, I've been working in like sports, sports marketing for team marketing and uh, FIFA. And at that time, I think when sponsors started spending less and less of their budget on traditional advertising, like TV broadcasts, uh, a sponsorship or TV ads and started moving more into the digital space, my background in analytics switched from, you know, kind of the traditional insights and media insights, TV uh, analytics into the digital side. And through that, I kind of transformed and started getting more, you know, into uh, content, digital content, and understanding how the data and analytics work, what works well, what doesn't work well. And through through chance, actually, I got an opportunity to join Odlo, which is a sportswear brand, uh, if you know, from, you know, kind of the ski okay. base layer. I joined, yeah, I joined Odlo as they were going through a major restructuring and, and uh, kind of just going towards kind of a lifestyle brand away from that kind of functional, technical product. And uh, I was brought in to initially kind of revamp all the online marketing and digital marketing. And I slowly transitioned into actually launching and scaling via e-commerce uh, platform and brand. So with, with kind of, you know, having that solid data understanding and getting more into the technical e-commerce realm. And that kind of propelled me into the, you know, the various retail um, sector of e-commerce and selling online, you know, on Amazon and, and various D2C uh, websites and retail partner websites. And from Oslo, I moved into, I had a stint at Fossil for about three years in Basel. Yeah. So when, when I was uh, in your neck of the woods. Just around the corner from where I was working at the time. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was at Fossil kind of managing all the, the D2C. Amazon was a big part of my kind of remit, uh, looking at scaling, you know, kind of the assortment and the, the sales basically on all the uh, EU5 platform of Amazon. Um, when I left Fossil, I, I took some time to work at uh, Ava, which is a, a Swiss startup based in Zurich. 
and I helped them kind of scale their um, basically digital marketing and e-commerce team. So looking at you know the setup, looking at the structure, how they you know building blocks for digital marketing and and e-commerce across all the different uh, markets they were launching into. And as I kind of finished that project, um, you know, kind of a startup environment was great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, really tough uh, overall in terms of just the, the pressure to keep costs low uh, and to sell more and to, you know, kind of justify the financing. Absolutely. And the all hands on deck kind of mentality. There's like, there's, there's no uh, mentality of this is my job and this is your job, and, but everyone has to kind of deal with everything, right? Yeah, and it was actually quite it was quite interesting because it was you had a lot of people who, who joined in, you know, a lot of young people, but a lot of people who've come in from industry, people like me too, you know, working at corporate environments. And we've all had, had a, a period of adjustment to kind of align on working in this kind of way, which is basically you have jobs to do and you look at the best kind of group of people who can get it done and not about, you know, this is my area, that's your area. And I think one of the things and one of the challenges, I guess, with every startup is you you start like that and you kind of pivot back into traditional, more normal organizations. And I think, you know, that that's one balance. Um, yeah, so as I, as I left uh, Ava, I ended up uh, where I am now, which is at Victorinox, family-owned, uh, amazing Swiss, uh, iconic brand, uh, which is a great journey overall. Yeah, it's been, been good. Um, would you mind taking um, a step even further back? And, and kind of maybe going into what brought you into research in the first place um, and, and how you went about finding a university course that interested you at the time. Yeah, so I, I'm actually from Malaysia, as you know, originally. And um, one of the things that I really struggled with in the, in the early stage was like any good Indian family, you know, you end up being a doctor, uh, a lawyer, or an engineer. And those three things were not something I was actually interested in, or, you know, kind of the, the fields of study that I was actually good at with, you know, the, the maths, advanced maths and physics and chemistry and stuff. So like, you know, kind of any, any uh, a lazy Indian child in school was looking at the best form of exit to get a proper education and set me up. And, and I ended up doing business and uh, went on to do my MBA. And it was actually, when I was doing my MBA, I, um, I, ha I really struggled to kind of think of what I wanted to do uh, for my thesis at the, you know, at, at the end of the kind of journey. And I was with all these older, mature students. And I actually had finished my bachelor's and went straight into doing an MBA program, was accepted into this, uh, this university in Malaysia. And I went, okay, you know, what am I passionate about? And I was passionate about football and sports. <laughs> and I actually ended up doing research because of my thesis and really, you know, not getting kind of hooked into the numbers. And whilst doing my actual um, thesis, uh, in sports marketing, I ended up doing, you know, being in contact with this company in Germany that was working for Team UEFA, all the football clubs, um, doing kind of global consumer insights and research, uh, you know, in the early, the late 90s, uh, 99, uh, 2000, 2001. So I was working with them and helping them. And at that time, you know, Asia was a big market for a lot of the football clubs and it wasn't as mature as it was you know, media rights and things weren't as big as they are now. So the visibility, there wasn't really much going on by way of, you know, digital uh, internet and TV um, from, from the kind of the digital sphere of the content. And uh, oh, through that... This sounds so old, doesn't it? <laughs> I know it does, yeah. So, you know, th those were the days when you actually, you know, have to send... 
video cassettes and DVD players around the world to record <laughs> games and to look at whether you know people were buying ads and whatever was promised was being delivered for for sports uh, companies and federations. So. Um, I ended up doing a bit of work and, and then I moved to Germany uh, to intern for the company and that's, that's how it all became, you know, kind of that research. So by default, not knowing what I wanted to do for my, for my master's thesis, I ended up doing something in research and then going into Germany to get a really good solid training. I mean, you know what Germans are like, it's, <laughs> it's hard work. Intern in Germany is no, no fun, <laughs> especially in like the early 2000s, it was a, it was a, it was a tough school. Absolutely. And then you, yeah. uh, you moved from Spot and Markt, which is now called Repucom, right? Um, they, I think they're part of the Nielsen Sports Group now. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, Nielsen. And that was up Nielsen. in Cologne. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So there was, was out, out in Cologne and Nielsen Sports uh, is what they're kind of rebranded now, went through various okay. rebrands. And um, yeah, so I, I moved uh, after three years working there at the agency. I was then approached by team. They were one of my clients. I was managing the account to come onto the client side. And that's how I ended up being in Lucerne and uh, have been ever since, haven't left. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a nice neck of the woods, it has to be said. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, so I came in late 2006 and uh, have, been, have been, been here ever since. Cool. And what was it like for you back then coming from uh, Malaysia and moving to Cologne? It was interesting. I mean, it was uh, definitely, you know, language and, and um, just culturally was a big, big change uh, from what I was used to. Um, but I have to say Cologne as a city, you know, if you haven't been, Cologne is such an amazing place and people are so friendly, very open, um, not, not very German in that sense. If that sounds, you know, kind of, uh, kind of uh, right. And um, I had a great time in Cologne. It's so easy to meet people and friends. I have a lot of friends still uh, based uh, in Cologne. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think the, the biggest shock was actually moving from Cologne to Lucerne. <laughs> that, that was a big shock more than yeah. Malaysia into Cologne. Uh, yes. I think that, that, yeah, that was a big cultural shock for me too. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's where yeah. we met each other. Um, and that's, yeah. uh, wow. I think we actually started almost about the same time working for team marketing at the time. Yeah. yeah. So kind of like uh, late 2006, early 2007. Yeah. And the, the, um, the football that was played every Friday. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the highlights and you know, I talk about, uh, corporate culture and ingraining kind of the values of what the company sends for you work in sports and or, or in football uh, specifically and having you know kind of that taking the time out to network with your colleagues but on the football pitch Absolutely. that was something i think i think that created a bond for so many people it was so hard to leave the company just because of that i think friday football <laughs> yeah <laughs> forget the perks like google with free food and stuff just play football every friday lunchtime and people will stay <laughs> The value of being able to play football with your colleagues is massive. Um, so, I mean, I've been talking about non-linear career paths quite a lot lately. Um, and from first look, like at your CV, it would seem it, it's pretty non-linear. But if you explain it like that, it makes an awful lot of sense. It seems to have a red thread. Um, and that's based in, in data um, and research, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, kind of the, the thing I get asked quite a lot when, when I go for interviews and, you know, my CVs. I'm not a, I think when you look at, especially now, e-commerce, digital marketing, you have a very clear track record of people coming in from either the IT background, mm -hmm. you know, for the e-commerce, you know, if you're managing, if you're a head of e-commerce or a director of e-commerce and, and managing a, 
a global uh, PNL and a business, you typically come from some kind of technical background. You had that that framework of developing the business, um, and some of the digital marketing side of things, you either again technical or you come from a creative background and you've mm -hmm. done some creative design work or you're, you're a very you know brand driven person. And I think within that entire setup, the the building block is still data, and data is the one that gives you that you know, momentum to be able to analyze things and, and make the right decisions and also to be less uh, less emotional in some of those decision making processes. And I think that that helped me a lot throughout my career. And um, I think not taking not being afraid of just taking some risks and maybe I think the linear path of uh, career is when you think of a trajectory going up, you know, you build up a career and you want to take the next step higher. I haven't been afraid to kind of go sideways and maybe take one step back, like even at Oddlo, it was a step yeah. back in terms of, you know, whether it's financial or even the, the kind of setup in, in work and the, the, you know, how many people I had reporting to me. I, it, it was a risk, but, you know, ultimately it's, it again, kind of probably upskilled me on the e-commerce side, the technical basis to really then propel my, my career in the future. Of course. Oh, that's, yeah. uh, that's fascinating. And so you went on uh, from from a team to work for for FIFA, um, yes. which doesn't seem like a huge jump per se, but if you you know look at both of the companies, it's 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 it couldn't be bigger actually. It's it's both in football, but um, on the one hand you have this this very kind of small and, and lean and agile company in Lucerne, and the other is is a is a global behemoth and and something that's very political um, per se yeah it was and, and that was again you know a decision where you kind of for me it was you know a, a dream to work in at fifa and like anyone in football and especially being malaysian i think it meant a lot more for my family than myself because everyone <laughs> was so excited about the fact that you I know mean, if you don't become a doctor or a lawyer then at least uh, yeah, you're working for fifa this, right? <laughs> yeah if you, if you can't be a good enough footballer then you you may as well just work for fifa that's close enough it gives you a bit of glamour at least <laughs> with your circle of friends and family um, but you're right. I mean, it was completely different. I think you know, at, at, you know, you know, team from your own personal experience. But you know, for for people listening to this, I think the it was almost an environment where you had a lot of young people. You did a lot of things. You were given a lot of responsibility, but there was a lot of pressure to deliver stuff. Whereas when you go into FIFA, it was more political and very hierarchical, very difficult. And I felt, you know, in a way, very kind of confined, and I could not being able to do a lot of things and that a lot of people maybe you know kind of balance it up between the other benefits of that you get working for such a global organization like FIFA uh, whereas for me I felt I wasn't progressing and I wasn't doing stuff which is why you know I didn't I didn't last very long yeah. at, uh, at FIFA and um, I, I made a decision to then leave. Yeah. And then you went on to um, as you mentioned before um, work as the head of digital for Odlo and that was I think pretty early days for Odlo, um, if I can remember um, correctly, yeah. um, to, to head in that direction because they had been very um, B2B um, up until then, right? Yeah, so it was very wholesale driven um, with big retail partners and especially the big chains like Oxen Sport and, um, you know, Sport X from Migro uh, in, in Germany with Karstadt Sport and, and the likes. Um, all over Europe. And one of the main uh, challenges that the company had, Odlo, was to understand. So they, they were going away from that kind of functional sportswear, athletic look and communication into more of a lifestyle. So if you imagine kind of the Patagonias and the North Face, yeah. that's what Odlo were trying to do. And in order to do that, they also started creating different types of cuts for jackets and outerwear. And it's very difficult to then, you know, satisfy an existing 
consumer base that didn't fit or match that uh, kind of aspirational consumer they were going after. And digital and e-commerce was the kind of uh, mechanism that they were hoping would propel um, that, that growth. And in the early stages, it was quite a challenge because you know we were losing probably the existing customers as faster than acquiring new customers. And to try and get that balance was quite a challenge to, to look at how best to start, you know, looking at the communication mechanisms, building the infrastructure of the website, the e-commerce platform to go into new markets and expand, but equally then drive a lot of that, you know, top line revenue and sales. So that would be the, the first step that you'd do if you came into a new company is, is you'd, you'd look at the, the, like your, the insights that exist already. Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, in order to understand the things that worked or didn't work, you know, rather than coming in with a blanket piece of, uh, let's say, a blueprint that you take with you. And I think a lot of people come in and have a, a fixed way of, you know, fixing things or in, in their opinion, how to fix things. And I think that blueprint for me is not based on things that, you know, I have predefined in my head. It's more that pillars that I'm looking for from the data to then try and align or guide in making some of those decisions in the you know in the kind of short and medium term and so everything you basically learn at odlo you could really directly use at the fossil group then yeah so that that whole experience of actually so one of the first things that i did actually at odlo was to revamp the working of how you look at the digital journey and the digital ecosystem away from just a linear path which is you know you put an ad out uh, whether it's on social or on display and the linear path will be you bring them to your website because that's where you want everyone to come in and where you want the conversion to happen. And because Odlo was so big on the wholesale side, we were actually forced from the very beginning to look at some of those retail partners and look at how their online experiences and how do we map them into the overarching digital journey. So, you know, sending people to one area, so another retail partner and building that ecosystem. And that was the main, you know, having that kind of grounding and, and that that yeah, background of executing that was what actually got me the role at Fossil because they were going through a similar change in the watch and jewelry business. And if, if you're not familiar, Fossil, um, they have their own brands. So they have three main brands that they, that they own and they, they own their website and they own everything else that comes with that you know, brand equity. But they also are licenses of uh, Michael Kors and Armani and Diesel and all these other brands where they, they produce and manufacture the, and sell and or distribute the watches and jewelry and accessories for. So those brands, you don't control the direct-to-consumer website because you know diesel.com or michaelcoast.com is not managed by Fossil. But the entire retail, wholesale or e-retail landscape with the Salandos and the ASOS and Selfridges and Yelmolis of the world, that you can control because you are the you know you're distributing into. So my role in the beginning was to kind of again create that infrastructure of how do you communicate the brand across all these different touch points, how do you segment them? Who do you prioritize? Who are the ones that can help you grow? Um, and those are the kind of things that I worked on, yeah. That's it, really interesting because you, you learned all of this from the pike upwards. It was, um, yeah, you, you learned um, in each of the roles that you've been in how to kind of dissect the numbers and use them to your advantage. Um, yeah. and, then, and then taking that on to, to Victorinox as well, where you are today. Yeah, exactly. So that, that kind of helped um, to you know, put, put the bigger picture together. And throughout the way, throughout the journey uh, in my career, I haven't actually, you know, I, I haven't been doing the same thing. So at, at Odlo, I had the whole 
uh, team. So you had e-commerce and I had digital marketing all under one. Uh, at Fossil, I, I had the wholesale arm first and then I had everything, you know, Amazon, D2C and, and kind of bring that all together. Now with Victorian Ops is slightly different. I, I, I manage the kind of digital marketing aspects. So basically the traffic and people coming onto the site and, and the kind of, you know, sales and the targets that we're trying to achieve in terms of the conversions. But what happens on the site, that's a different team. So it's kind of, again, working together in within that group and, and aligning ourselves better and creating that ecosystem that works for everyone. So it's quite a quite an interesting setup as well. God, it sounds super interesting. Um, yeah. and, and, and we're only talking about a Swiss army knife, really. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, essentially it is because that's, you know, nearly 60 to 70 percent of our overall revenue is the Swiss army knife. It's such oh, an really? iconic product. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And how much, how much of those, uh, can I ask, how many um, sales then go through the Victorinox website and how many go through your partners? So, I mean, still the partners uh, are more than, you know, 75, 80% of our okay. overall revenue. Um, yeah. And the e-commerce part is still something that we are building up and we're growing. So it's still under the kind of 15% threshold um, okay. at the moment. But, you know, something we have... something like to grow? Yeah, it's, it's definitely an ambitious target. And I think, you know, we have a vision for 2025 where we would like to um, see like a, you know, almost a two, two to three X growth in, in overall turnover that we're going, uh, that we're doing from our, from our website. And I mean, you know, these, these are all things where as a brand, I think we all brands in the, in the, in the ecosystem at the moment have big major decisions to make, especially post-COVID. E-commerce is growing and e-commerce is, you know, everyone's now seeing the value of how important it is. And especially brands like in the luxury space and stuff, everybody's kind of jumping on that e-commerce bandwagon, if you'd like, uh, if I can use that phrase. But one of the biggest challenges within e-commerce is that you also, if you are going to be serious about e-commerce, besides the infrastructure and everything else that you've got to, to have and, and, and really run that well, you've also got to make a decision on, are you going to play like an e-commerce brand? Which means that you've got to start tactically doing things like sales and promotional calendars and really being not aggressive, but in that kind of space in order to take a bit of that market share. But we as a brand, Victorinox, we've decided because, of, you know, obviously we're also family owned, the family decided that, you know, we're we will always be full price and we'll always be you know, deaf with the brand experience and we'll focus on more uh, offering services and value to our consumers and focusing on limited editions and exclusives that we then only carry on our side versus uh, retail partners. So we're trying to get that balance between both, you know, growing with as an e-commerce brand, not being, you know, not having that whole arsenal of uh, of uh, tools that you can, you know, at, at, your, at, at your deployments to, to attack the market. Um, but more around, you know, how do we build that experience and how do we tell that story to our consumers? So how easy do you think that it's going to be to kind of you know, become more independent towards you know, platforms like Amazon, who are really kind of uh, taking over the world and, and have become so important for so many uh, different brands? Amazon is a is a big partner of ours, uh, a very important partner in terms of our, our entire kind of uh, distribution model that we have. Um, they are one of, uh, if not the biggest uh, key account that we have um, in our in our ecosystem, and that shows you already the importance. You know, it's as mm-hmm. uh, as being a, a traditional brand. I think the balance is more around how do you create 
the right assortment strategy to fit each of those partners. Mm-hmm. I think the, the difference with e-commerce is that in the past, you know, the, the kind of retail models of the old was, I think when you go into a store, the old, the old days, uh, the experienced retail or shop manager will say, you know, stack it high and see them fly because you just need a lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot of things in there. And similarly for e-commerce and going online, it's get your products out as, everywhere as much as you can in every door. And you can't apply that same principles anymore. And I think the challenge is more, what, how do you curate the experience? What, what value is Amazon to your entire digital ecosystem or, you know, kind of product and sales ecosystem versus a partner like, you know, here in Switzerland would be a global sort of Yelmoli or even a Brack or Digitech and Galaxus. How, how do you fit all these different people together? Um, and how do you build that, uh, that ecosystem that aligns the consumer with the products that you are trying to achieve. I don't think it's, you know, in our case, we're not, we, we fully understand that Amazon is a, is an important partner. We're not fighting against Amazon. We're not trying to, you know, consumers are already on Amazon rather than bringing them to our website. How do we cater for them on Amazon? I think is what we are trying to, you know, better understand and also cut out a lot of those internal internal issues and challenges that we have because you know we have a lot of mom and pop stores we have a lot of independent uh, specialty retailers who you know are up in arms whenever we talk about amazon it's almost like a like a forbidden word uh, that you can uh, cannot say in some of these uh, you know company meetings but equally they're not going to go away and i think you know we we have to also pull our head out of the hand uh, the sand and uh, make sure that you're kind of accustomed to you know navigating these challenges I mean, as you say, um, the building the right ecosystem for, for a product is, is uh, extremely important. Um, and one thing that I've been hearing a lot lately also um, around the, the, like the, the data um, story and everything is um, well, a- absolutely like not just having the data, but creating um, a story that fits with the data um, and, and, and having yeah. that narrative that you you can use a narrative to to help make the information readable for everyone like without a story you just have data and and like most people can't really um, do an awful lot with just like um unfiltered data so do you spend a lot of time like not just on the user journey but also kind of visualizing this this um this data we we do and i think um uh, a good friend of mine, Boris, actually uh, keeps reminding me about this quote. I think it's from The Economist or one of these magazines, which is, I think the tagline of The Economist, I believe, or Time magazine is the story behind the news, right? So it's like you have a lot of news, but you, you need the stories behind the, the yeah. news. And I think that's uh, a quite an apt way of uh, explaining the data, which is we get, you know, we, we have so much of data at our fingertips they're not in a cohesive uh, way, you know, in, in a centralized uh, database or in, you know, we have data in all different areas. But ultimately what we tend to do uh, is we look at data in individual silos and try and analyze it. But um, we've been fortunate that we try and at least bring some of our key data into a uh, kind of a, a central point where we can then look at what that data is telling us. And I think that informs us on some of the assortment strategies. Uh, it informs us about what are the best things that you know consumers buy from us. 
Um, and, and to give you an example, you know, from the data, we, we talk about, you know, us as an e-commerce brand and we want to grow and we want to sell a lot. So still, you know, there's only a very, that 80-20 rule, 20% of our products, we have over, we have over 1,900 SKUs on our website, but only 20% of those generate like, you know, the 80-80% of the sales. So that means, you know, the remainder of our products, people are buying it somewhere else. So how do we... How do we see that? So we have a, you know, we have this uh, widget called Where to Buy, where we work with this partner, um, where we send, you know, traffic to Amazon from our website to see whether people buy. When they convert, we also get to understand what else are they buying. You know, their basket composition. So we we can look at trying to fill in the gaps that we have from our consumers to understand whether if we think they're a practical consumer or if we think they're a discerning consumer, are they buying kind of the product adjacencies that would align them better to what we think they are, the practical or the discerning consumer. And, and more often than not, we are wildly inaccurate in terms of what we think or who, or who we think our consumers are. And I think that's, that's really quite an interesting journey for us. Absolutely. And, you know, where do you think this journey might lead in the near future? It's, it's hard to say. I think, you know, we, we are now focusing on, um, um, actually looking at digital transformation for the whole organization. That's a, a, an area that like every company now post-COVID, I think is uh, focused on that. I think our journey is really to try and better align our core capabilities as a brand. You know, what do we stand for? The quality, the, the values as, as a Swiss-owned company and, a, and an iconic Swiss-made brand or Swiss-made products uh, that, we, that we produce is to, to look at leveraging all our strong USBs, like, you know, we, we manufacture all our uh, blades and knives in Switzerland, in actually in Canton Schweiz in Ebach. Mm -hmm. uh, it's there, you know, sustainability is a big topic. Um, the, the whole kind of environment and, and everything else that comes into it is, is an important aspect. So I think our journey is more trying to look at, you know, all the things that are in our, in our archives historically that we maybe haven't been so... Uh, conscious of communicating, how do we kind of distill that and how do we you know, bring that to the fore? And, and the other part on the distribution side, I think we're also looking more at how do we you know, further align ourselves with the digital ecosystem that we are in, that we're moving towards. And I think the third part would also be in terms of us as a brand, you know, what else can we do as a, as a business model for, for Victorinox? You know, we have we have the wealth of data and information. Uh, we have retail stores. How do we kind of pull all of that together, combined with our manufacturing capabilities and our product capabilities, to then look at different types of business models? Um, you know, be it a subscription model, whatever these kinds of things. I think is what's keeping us uh, busy at the moment. <laughs> and uh, where do you see yourself gravitating towards in in the near to distant future? <sighs> It's a, a tough question. I mean, I, I quite like what I do from kind of the digital uh, space and the e-commerce space. And, uh, me, you know, me personally, what I think will happen is that the kind of chief marketing officer roles uh, in the in, in out there in companies and stuff is actually going to be in the future someone who's come from that kind of digital and e-commerce background and we're no longer going to have a chief digital officer or a chief marketing officer and these kinds of connotations and i think you know for me in the future i would i would you know look to try and get myself more into 
taking this, the things that I look at from the individual aspects of the sales and distribution within the digital ecosystem and really make it into kind of a, a broader marketing role. So we, we're really, you know, focused on growing. I also quite like, you know, we have a we have a brand within our portfolio called Venga, which is so Victorinox is kind of the the mid tier, mid to kind of the higher higher premium uh, tier brand, and Wenger is more kind of the mid to to lower tier brand, and I quite like the idea of maybe then you know having the opportunity to take that brand and almost like a startup within us within the company mm-hmm. to, to look at opportunities to grow and scale that to a different type of base because we speak we speak to a different type of consumer. It's more mm-hmm. the kind of younger uh, millennial consumer rather than kind of the Victorinox established. Uh, slightly older target audience yeah cool and what do you do in your spare time when you're not uh, thinking about data and, and <laughs> how, to, how to get your products uh, out there um i play a lot of tennis really badly uh, and uh, <laughs> i see a lot of play. parallels between the two of us <laughs> i know i know i actually played uh, tennis with jamie who uh, who's the, currently the ceo of a team where we both worked and uh, yeah he was. He, I think he loves him. Sorry, no. I think he loves playing me because he always uh, keeps hammering me, as opposed to when when I play badminton with him, uh, when I make him run. So that's uh, yeah. So tennis and uh, road biking. Okay. Uh, but uh, those are the kind of two main things that uh, occupy me in my my spare free time. Especially in and around Lucerne and Zug, there's uh, there's so many amazing hills to ride up and, yeah. and beautiful tennis courts as well, obviously, and swimming yeah. in the lake. Gosh, exactly, yeah. So a lot of lot of opportunities. Cool. Hey, um, thank you so much for sharing some of the some insights, some really interesting insights on some things that I didn't know yet, um, and I'm I'm sure will be interesting for others to hear as well. Um, sharing some insights on your career so far, and um, thank you for taking a good half an hour out of your day to speak to me. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having me on. And uh, it's always good to see you and catch up. Always a pleasure. Next time we should do this in person and then you can beat me at tennis as well. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> you love your win. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take uh, any wins at the moment. <laughs> cool. Great. Hey, um, and have a great summer as well. Thank you. You too. Enjoy the break. Okay. Ciao, Kanesh. Bye. Ciao. Bye-bye. the end of this digital experience podcast thanks for listening for further information about us please head over to weirwondrous.com